Paul rejoices because the Philippian church has continued or resumed their support for the work that he was doing. And do you know what he was doing at this point? He was sitting in a prison. <laughs> now, I never thought about that as work, but if the Bible says it, could it not be work? You see, Paul is in prison, actually in, under house arrest in Rome, because he was arrested in Caesarea by King Herod, and, um, and, and he is a Roman citizen, so he appealed his case to Rome. They kept him in prison in, in Galilee for two years, and they didn't ever really file any charges against him. They just used him to try to needle the scribes and the Pharisees in Jerusalem into better deals. They were using him as leverage. And so finally, he doesn't know if he's ever going to get out, so he appeals this case to Rome, to Caesar. So they take him to Rome, and now he is in house arrest. And, and so the Philippians have once again resumed supporting Paul with gifts of support. And so the way that it gets translated is about their concern for Paul. He is rejoicing in the Philippians' concern for Paul. Concern here really is an attitude that intends to build relationships. An attitude that builds relationships. That's what this word concern actually means. And so when I think about that word, resuming an active attitude of rebuilding relationships, I immediately think about my cousin. I have a cousin, Gordy, Gordon Sebring Jr., who is in Ukraine. And uh, he has been over there uh, for the last two years, Thank you, COVID. Um, he hasn't been able to fly back home. And uh, he, is, he is a farmer over there. He, is a, he started out as a missionary farmer. He, he still lives his Christian faith in his work there. And he is uh, farming 5,000 acres of farmland, uh, still working to support local farmers. And uh, he considered leaving, and he couldn't. He said, I, I needed to stay with the people, because now he could have flown home. Uh, this was the time when he could have come back, uh, but he chose not to. And, and so I, I'm trying to figure out how can I support my cousin. And so I'm praying for my cousin, praying for his safety, obviously, but I'm also praying for his work, that he can continue to do the work that he does there. And that he can be, and this is his purpose there right now, he has said this, that he wants to be a light to the people who are suffering. He wants to give them hope. And so how I rebuild that relationship, I haven't quite figured out completely yet, but we're on, we're on the way. We're in the process. And so Paul is thanking the Philippians for resuming. Actually, you know what the word he uses is re-sprouting, <laughs> Um, we have Judy and Irene here who are a couple of gardeners. And uh, is this the time of year that you would plant for your early uh, summer harvest? And, and so you're actively planting if you're a vegetable farmer right now. And with the hopes that you'll have a, a, 
a, a harvest, a, a fruitful harvest. And, um, or you can think of the, when you go walk outside and you smell the citrus blossoms, have you smelled those? Aren't they beautiful? And, uh, and, and so that's a reminder that the harvest is coming. Limes, lemons, oranges, all those things are going to start developing and growing. And some of you have already had your citrus trees growing and you've shared your harvest. And so Paul is thankful that they are renewing this support and rebuilding their relationship with Paul. But if their relationship is re-sprouting or rebuilding, why had it stopped? Why had they not been working on that relationship? Well, there's a couple of ideas, but we don't know for sure. But one of the ideas is that perhaps the Philippian church had come upon really hard times, financially hard times. And they couldn't financially support Paul's work. Or maybe, maybe it was that they were um, being oppressed and they didn't have the freedom to be able to reach out and to help. And, and so that, that is one theory. 2 Corinthians 8 talks about the churches um, in Macedonia. Philippi would have been one of those churches. And it says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. So we know that they were experiencing adversity. We know that they were experiencing poverty. And maybe that was a part of why their support had waned. Another theory is that Paul's imprisonment had made it difficult for them to continue this relationship. I, as a pastor, have on occasion gone to a jail or prison to visit members of the church that have been there. And what is interesting um, over the years is how much more difficult it has become for me to make a visit. And so I can understand that if there were a lot of hurdles that perhaps the churches weren't able to help Paul in the ways that they had hoped that they could help him. We also know that the continuity of support is not a condition for partnership with Paul. And so even though their support had, had waned, Paul never stopped having a relationship with them. I mean, he's writing this letter to them. He was always thankful for that relationship. Paul could have said, no thanks, you left me. I don't trust you to come back. But he didn't do that. What he said was this, verse 11, not that I am in need, but I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Content is the key word here. Paul is not focused on his needs, the things that he is lacking. And 
we might say that Paul was certainly lacking at this point if he was under house arrest. Uh, what we know about first century prisons is that um, if you were under house arrest or in prison, that your family and friends were responsible for giving you food and your basic essentials. Uh, so if you were thrown into prison, you were not given anything other than um, guards. And uh, you know, if you wanted clean clothes, it was your family. Uh, if you wanted something to eat, it was your family and friends. That's how you survived in prisons. And so what we know is that Paul was certainly lacking because he'd been in prison for two years in Caesarea, and then we, we're not quite sure, but for a length of time in Rome. Meanwhile, between the two, he was on a journey on a boat where it was shipwrecked. Um, you can't make this stuff up. Um, and, and so when, when Paul is talking about his relationship to be content in whatever he has, he means it. Paul was certainly lacking. So when the Philippians brought their gift to Paul, he's not focused on his needs, but he is focused on his relationship with God. Now, when we think about that, we are looking at that word again, content. Paul believed that God would meet all of his needs. So his focus is not on the needs, but on God. He openly talks about being content, whether he is in poverty or in abundance. Paul is content. Now, the Stoic philosophers were popular philosophers at the time of Paul, and they would have been prevalent throughout this Roman Empire. Uh, Seneca was one uh, famous philosopher. And what the Stoic philosophers taught was kind of mind over matter that you were to focus on your ability to reason. It, it all came down to your will. If you were suffering terrible consequences or terrible uh, experiences in life, then you should not focus on your emotions. Oh, I can't put up with this stuff anymore. Instead, you're to focus on your reason. Think it through and be strong. And then all of those... Um, Stoic philosophers ended up moving to northern Germany and Scandinavia and became Lutherans. <laughs> so so what, what's interesting here, Paul does this stuff all the time. I love this about Paul. Uh, he'll take a word that is used in the vernacular, a uh, common word, and he'll change it. He'll use it and change the meaning. And so he does that with this word content because the philosophers have been, have been using this word contentment to talk about their will to have reason over emotions. And so Paul takes this word content and he changes it. Paul says that, um, well, he said if Seneca was right, then Paul would focus on his will to just be strong. But that's not what he's focused on. Paul is not focused on his will, his ability to think it through. He is focused on Jesus. He is focused on his Lord. And so by being focused on his Lord, he doesn't let his reason or his emotions or any of those things interfere. His focus is Jesus. 
And when he focuses on Jesus, that keeps him um, from being emotional, it keeps him from being rational, and it keeps him centered on trust. That he's doing it not for himself, not for what he's experiencing, but for Jesus. This is a bit of a complicated thing to understand. I had to learn it personally. Um, So uh, it's an important lesson that I learned in my ministry here at New Covenant. When I first moved here um, and took this call, whenever we received a large gift, my secretary at that time would write a thank you letter and then have it on my desk for me to sign. So whenever somebody gave a large gift, there was a thank you, and um, it was sent off from me. And um, so I always struggled with that because I've been more of the philosophy that I don't want to know what people give, and I'm human. I don't want it to impact my pastoral care of how I uh, work with people. And um, so for me, it created some conflict. So my compromise was, well, I'll sign the letters of the large gifts. And um, then I'll just forget about them. And I won't know about anything else. And, we, you know, the large gifts didn't come in that often, so um, that, that was my compromise. And I was really focused on that compromise, you know, just, just those large gifts we'll give a thank you for. So then um, one time, a winter couple had been worshiping with us, and uh, we were doing the building fund. And um, they gave a very large gift to the church. And um, so it had just come in. I was just notified that I should write a thank you letter, because now I write the letters. And... So I saw them on the patio after worship, and they were alone. And so I went over to visit with them. And I said, and by the way, thank you so very much for your very generous gift. And he looked at me, and he said, Pastor, I didn't give it for you. (laughs) I gave it because Jesus tells me to give. Thank you. That was the best lesson I ever learned because he was telling me that his giving wasn't because of me. It wasn't even because of this church. He gave because of Jesus. So this is what Paul is focused on, is Jesus. He's not focused on Am I going to have enough to live on? Or when I have an abundance, should I take a trip? I mean, he wasn't focused on those things. He was focused on his relationship with God in Jesus. I was focused on the very large gift. And he was focused on Jesus, this this gentleman. Now, I may still send a thank you, 
But now my thank yous are in the context of the relationship and not in the context of the gift. Thank you for being in relationship with the mission that Jesus has given us here at New Covenant. So why do you give? Why do you give? Is, is it to fulfill a need? You know, the church has this need, so I'm going to give the money for it. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the opposite of that, gentlemen. Maybe you give a gift because you want to be recognized. Or is it so that you can have a relationship with Jesus? Paul is content. Paul is content in poverty and in abundance. In poverty, Paul is content. When he's lacking, he has learned to go without food. He can eat without, or he can uh, live without eating every meal. So when there's not enough food, he can fast. He can not eat. Paul is content in poverty. And this is the tricky one, though. Paul is also content in abundance. I have a good friend who used to tell me. He said, it's, Steve, it's not rags to riches that's difficult. He said, it's riches to rags. That's what's really difficult. How can you be content in abundance? I mean, Paul is not seeking more abundance when he has abundance. He is content with what he has. When we have abundance, we want more abundance. At least I'll speak for myself. When, when I have more creature comforts, I kind of like them, and I want more creature comforts. You know, when, when I have a need for security, I don't want a little security. I want a lot of security. When, when, when I have a need to want to have a retirement account, I never have enough to think about retiring in that account. Anybody else say amen to that? You see, we are so focused on accumulating more abundance when Paul was very content with what he had. It's like, it's enough. And there may be days when we don't have anything. And that's okay too. Paul is not seeking more. He is seeking Jesus. And he's preparing his disciples, his students, to do the same, to not be focused on wealth and abundance. In his first letter to Timothy, um, in chapter 6, he is telling Timothy not to be focused on accumulating more. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And he also guides Timothy, a little bit later on, to focus not on his needs or not on the gifts that he's receiving, but to focus on God. In, in verse 17, he says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Paul's not doing this just for himself. He's doing this for the people that he is training who will follow him as, as teachers, as disciples after he is gone. 
And the reason for this is that Paul has learned the secret. Yeah, the secret. Do you know what the secret is? The secret was a term that was used by the Romans as a way to define somebody who had initiated or had provided initiation into a new religious cult. There was um, the most prevalent religion in the Roman Empire was what we call paganism. We think of pagans as being kind of irreligious, but that's not what it was. They, they actually believed in God, usually many gods, and a plurality of gods. And so when, whenever somebody connected to a new religious cult, they called it that they had discovered the secret. Remember I told you earlier Paul would take these these common words, and he would reinterpret them? Guess what he does? (laughs) He takes the word secret, the Greek word for secret, and he reinterprets it. So Paul knows the secret. Paul knows the secret. Do you want to know the secret? If you want to know the secret, say, I want to know the secret. All right, turn and face somebody and tell them, I want to know the secret. Now, I was expecting a little more intensity when you looked at somebody else with that. Are you sure you want to know the secret? (laughs) This is a secret. Paul never focuses on his circumstances, his poverty, his abundance, his imprisonment, his freedom. Paul is focused on his relationship with Jesus. Contentment comes from within. From being in relationship with Christ. From being in Christ. From being in the one who empowers you. Who empowers me? Well, I had to learn that from that winter couple that it's not the gifts that should empower me. And so I'm learning to be focused on Jesus. And I'm grateful for others who have lives where they're learning to be focused on Jesus. And I'm I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to share. I'm grateful for you and the relationships that many of us have around Jesus. That's who empowers me at this point. But who empowers you? Is it your employer? Your company? Might it be your wealth or your retirement accumulations? Is it your children? It's family day today. Is it your children? Well, let me tell you that at some point in your life, all of these things will fail you. There'll be a point in time when you're going to question whether you have enough to retire. There's going to be a time when your company or your employer disappoints you. There's going to be a time when your children challenge you. And so who do you turn to then? If that's who you have focused on, who do you turn to? I posit that the most important relationship that you can have 
whether you are experiencing poverty or whether you are experiencing abundance, the most important relationship that you can have is with Jesus. And what that means is that you are willing to be totally known by God. See, God knows us, but we're not always willing to be totally known by God. Are you willing to reveal your life to God? I mean, God already knows it, so it's no no surprise. Are you willing to allow God to know you completely? And then the second piece, are you willing to let God accept you and love you without condition? Now, in the world, those two things seem completely incompatible, don't they? I'm going to completely reveal myself and you're going to completely and absolutely love me. That doesn't happen. Except with Jesus. Because Jesus' love for you is profound. And it is the power, it is his Holy Spirit that pulls you through. Whether you are in poverty, even more difficult, whether you're in abundance, Jesus comes to love you. And with that, we can be like Paul and we can rejoice. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for being such a loving God to us. Thank you for accepting us. Even when we have revealed our brokenness to you, you continue to love us. And you love us with an absolute and complete love that we can't even imagine. So when we try to run from you, Lord, Remind us that you are not there to condemn us, but you are there to bring us life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.